Welcome to The Marketer's Journey, a podcast that delivers real conversations and fresh perspectives from senior marketing executives who share the journey they've taken and the buyer journey they create. And now here's your host, Randy Frisch. Welcome to The Marketer's Journey. Today, my guest has been with some amazing brands. Just to name a few, we've got Siemens, we've got Intel, we've got OpenText, we've got HubSpot. More recently, we have amazing brands like Convey and a company I'm really excited about. We use their technology being full story. My guest is Kirsten Newbold-Knipp, and she is a fantastic CMO who also dabbles a little bit on the side in terms of investment as a limited partner. And she shares how she balances all of this and how it makes her a better marketer. We then talk about the idea of creating a better buyer journey and how do we do this through the type of permission that we can get from our buyers to track their journeys and learn from those journeys to create a more optimized version. We get into this element of trust. We get into the idea of learning on the aggregate, but also how do we do this in a more personalized one-to-one basis? This is a fantastic episode for anyone who's open to digging into the analytics of a buyer journey. Here we go, my chat with Kirsten. Kirsten, thanks so much for joining us. I am really excited to unpack your career. We're going to start with where you are today. You are the CMO at Full Story. But if anyone checked you out on LinkedIn, they'd be like, you are full-time, not just at Full Story, but at multiple places, including venture experiences. What keeps you up at night? Like, Which of these gigs takes the majority of your time? Yeah, so definitely Full Story, full stop. I am super excited and super engaged to have joined Full Story about six months ago and am in the process of helping to kind of revitalize and create an entirely new type of marketing team at a company that is is on fire and growing. So I would say, you know, I spend 110% of my working waking hours thinking about Full Story. Um, but I do have, you know, one of the things that I chose to do a little while ago in my career was be a Gartner analyst. And as nerdy as that sounds, it'll tie back here to the investment expertise is it allowed me to get this breadth that I wouldn't have had before. I worked with B2B companies, B2C companies across all industries. And I really found that this ability to quickly unpack a problem and try to do some problem solving, scenario planning, strategy work with customers was so exciting. So when I got to the point in my career and both personal finances to be able to start doing some dabbling in angel investing, it was very exciting for me. So uh, through a couple of my last few companies, I've been exposed to some venture firms that have the concept of a limited partner. Through that, I do advise some companies here and there. Uh, They don't get nearly as much of my time, but it is a lot of fun to think about their marketing problems. If they're ones I've solved before, help them. And sometimes I learn from them. So really great way to stay fresh as well. And lets me still practice that little bit of consulting, if you will, while also helping to grow equity in a brand. It's a, it's a great perspective. And I, you know, I remember you and I first touched base. I think it was when you were a gardener, maybe along Indeed. the lines of HubSpot <laughs> too, for all I remember. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, doing this podcast, I always say for myself is an opportunity to chat with a different CMO every week and get different perspective. I think the same thing for you, I imagine, chatting with these different businesses, understanding their go-to-market allows you to bring new ideas back to your business. How do you play that line between advising them, but also learning from them and bringing those ideas back to your team? 
Yeah, it's, I would say it's very active because my advisory role ranges from, you know, some of the companies I talk to, it's literally talking to their CEO and helping them think about who should you be hiring? What problem are you trying to solve and what might be the structure of your team? So very theoretical and sort of zoomed out. And then some companies I advise, I might talk to their, you know, solo. I have one company that I talk to a lot, their solo marketer. We talk about twice a month. And I get to see literally progress along the way of landing page tests and things they're trying and, and, and et cetera and the like. And what's really fun about, I would say, those, those smaller companies where I'm advising somebody one-to-one, oftentimes that very scrappy, very early stage, they're willing to experiment with things that our team might not be able to just yet and take some risks that we won't take. So um, I can sort of learn from some things they're doing while also bringing them expertise of lessons we've learned. Um, and then in, in other cases, really zoom out. So to me, it, it very much is a dialogue. And as much as I give advice, it's maybe I give advice 70 to 80% of the time, and I'm learning something 20 to 30% of the time. Um, whether those things can apply perfectly to my current business remains to be seen. Um, but usually I'll bring back an idea or share something or maybe find out even a vendor that they've used that they're really happy with. So that's great perspective. Now, I, I want to go through your career, not in detail, but I want to hit on a couple of parts that I find really exciting. A lot of your, I'll call it career upbringing, seems to be very focused on product marketing, which makes sense in terms of eventually being at an analyst firm where it's all about product market fit. But you know, you've then evolved, if you will, to do everything from oversee the entire marketing function to even the sales function. How do you see the role of this modern CMO in terms of you know, the core capabilities that one needs to have? I'll step back one further and actually mention how I got into product marketing because it has bearing on the, the outcome. When I went to grad school, I had been actually a sort of hotel industry person, always thought I wanted to be a general manager when I grew up. So I liked this idea of being a generalist but decided I wanted to go into technology. And I thought I'd be a PM because a PM is kind of like a mini GM of their own thing. And what I learned is I am not an engineer whisperer. I do not do as well on the sort of inbound technical side of the house, but I loved the go-to-market side of it. And the company I was at didn't have the concept of product marketing at the time. It was sort of a unified PM, PMM role. And the more I did, the more I just leaned towards product marketing and this idea that you could really shape the entire structure of how a product works, how it's um, viewed by and understood by the market. What are the value propositions that you bring to your customers? The more that I looked at what marketing could do, right, product marketing where it sits, I thought, gosh, well, why not become a CMO? Why not maybe potentially one day even lead a whole business? To me, that means you need to understand all the functions well enough to be dangerous. Much of my upbringing, exactly as you notice, is product marketing, probably a good 10 years there. But in each of my product marketing roles, I always was looking to try something new, take on something more. So I will never say I'm an expert at PR, but in two of my companies, I said, hey, I'd love to also lead PR. Can I, can I do that for a while? What does that look like? Um, when I went to SolarWinds, for example, I didn't have demand gen experience and what they needed was someone to go fix some demand gen problems. And I said, I haven't done it, but I would like to try that as well. So for me, a lot of the things that got me to being a CMO were taking risks by learning other parts of the business in areas where I knew I'd never done it before, but I thought it would be important to be able to be enough of a generalist on some of these areas so that I could be the most valuable as a CMO. A friend recently asked me, she said, hey, are you looking for CRO jobs? I'm like, well, number one, I'm very happy where I am. But number <laughs> two, being a head of sales isn't the thing that jazzes me. Being a head of sales in the two occasions that I got to do it was actually really fantastic in terms of being able to become a better marketer and potentially a better general manager. So I'm curious in, in these examples, though, where you've taken on something out of that focus that you were brought in for, 
for those listening in, were these situations where, as you said, you put up your hand or people associated you as having that knowledge so they came to you? And I think it's an important distinction for people listening because I think a lot of us, we do wait to be tapped. Yeah, great question. I would say both. In more cases than not, it was probably that there was a known gap and people maybe doing the... um, uh, not me, right? Touching my nose. Like, I don't, I, that's a problem and it's over there and I'm not sure I want it. And on a couple of occasions, I've said, you know what? I don't know if I'm going to love solving this problem. And I don't know if this is the permanent thing I want, um, but I'll take it. I mean, in fact, uh, when, when I was at HubSpot, I led product marketing. I was joined in order to build out the product marketing function. There was no product marketing. I was it person number one, director of, of myself, and then was able to build a team. But that team flexed and through my two and a half years there, there were times where product marketing was truly what you think of as product marketing, sort of the classical sense. And there was a moment where my team was product marketing, brand, PR, events, and demand gen for trials. And then as I was thinking about making a move, I was like, okay, who do we peel these things out to? And in a number of cases, they were because there was a gap. At one point, I was so happy too, because I'm okay at PR, but it's not my greatest asset. We brought somebody in to formally take over PR. And I was like, here you go. I've been holding on to it for a year and a half for you. I did some good things. I kept it warm. I wouldn't say it's, you know, set the world on fire. And we were then able to sort of get someone whose passion and expertise was that area to take it on. Uh, so that was, I would say, a little bit of hybrid there versus a, a totally different experience. Um, when I was at Convey, the business realized that there was a need for some change in terms of how we were thinking about sales and the organization initially started a search for a CRO. I was very personally fortunate, I guess, that one of our advisors who was um, kind of on the sales side of the business had had some interactions with me, had observed how I ran my business on the marketing side and essentially tapped our CEO and the board and said, hey, you know you have someone inside who might be able to do this. What do you think about asking her? So that was less of a raise my hand and more of a, Kirsten, we think you might have what it takes. Do you want to have a conversation? And that was very, very exciting, exciting for them to take a risk on me and, and me to take a risk and, and have a great experience. That's a great perspective. And, you know, it brings up this question and maybe we'll finish this, this segment on this one, which is, do you believe in a typical standard org structure for your marketing team? Or does it really depend on the talent that you have? You know, I, I have exactly what you described at HubSpot right now. I have a fantastic senior director who oversees product marketing and brand. Without getting into the specifics, everyone's trying to figure out what buckets go in there. But that's not the way I had it nine months ago before we had some team changes. And, and I always take the approach, I've got to look at who my roster is, not to bring a sports analogy in here, and like figure out who's got to carry the ball in those different situations. How do you... You know, as you look back, you know, this is not your first CMO gig. Is your org structure the same now as it was last time? No, it is definitely not. And this actually marries the the analyst with the CMO and it's sort of the theory with the practice. I think in theory, right, Randy, you and I can say like, hey, here's what the perfect org structure would be for this business if you come in from the outside. And then in practice, you land there and you say, ooh, here's the team that I've inherited that I get to play with. And there's the team I go get to hire what is the perfect mix for these wonderful, talented humans? And then six months from now, what's the new mix? And six months from now, what's the new mix? Even in my short tenure here at Full Story, we've actually just decided that one of our teams is going to get carved out and elevated to another function, customer marketing. It was uh, part of one of our other groups, but we, we think it's important enough 
that we want to put more emphasis on it. So we're actually carving it out. That person's excited. Her team's still growing like gangbusters and we get to grow a new function under customer marketing that it, that becomes its own function. There is probably some period in time where how, how we do international today will change. So I think it is really a combination of what are the needs of the business, right? I think form follows function. So what is your strategy? What do you need to achieve? Where do you need to place emphasis? And then who's on the team and are they excited about it? Do they want to try it? Do you need to do something interim? And even right, do they want to grow in their career? Um, each of the leaders on my team, um, I have three phenomenal female leaders on my team and each of them have very different career aspirations. Me knowing what they want to do is also really valuable to say, hey, person X, do you want to try your hand at this thing, either temporarily or permanently? If you're great at it, then we might just grow your remit. If you don't love it, then we can ultimately find someone to lead it, but we need someone to try it right now and it'll give you some breath. So great, great point. Great point. All right, Kirsten, I, I, everyone's already hooked, but we're going to take a short break here, hear from our sponsor, and we will be right back to chat a little bit about a buyer journey that you're charting right now at Full Story. Want to improve the buyer journey for your customers and your prospects? Look no further than our presenting sponsor, Uberflip. Named a leader in content experience by G2 and a leader in content activation by Forrester, Uberflip will help you accelerate every buyer journey by creating bingeable experiences that will allow your prospects to consume more content faster. Companies like Trimble, Wiley, and 3M are using Uberflip to power their go-to-market strategies, and we created one just for you. Head to uberflip.com journey to see how Uberflip can help you leverage the power of personalized content experiences. So towards the end of that segment, something that Kirsten said really got me thinking and this idea of whether we have the repeatable org structure or a flexible one, I can't stop but lean to the flex approach. And one of the reasons she hit on is we've got to be aware of how someone wants to grow their career. More and more employees are thinking about making a jump to another company to take that next step in their career. But if we remain open to different org structures, different responsibilities, pairing different tasks onto the same individual, we give those opportunities for people to stay in our company, to take on more, to get those new challenges without having to make that jump to another company. When we lose a marketer on our team, we create a big hole and that hole takes time to fill more so the opportunities to let them to evolve and take that knowledge they have and take it into a new discipline. Even if that's unfamiliar territory for them, they bring such amazing knowledge of what you've done and where you want to go. We're back here on the marketer's journey and we chatted all about Kirsten's path to becoming a CMO. Now we're gonna talk about the path of a buyer and every buyer takes their own journey, if you will, the same way every marketer takes their own career path. And I wanna chat with you a little bit about how we can learn about how to create repeatable experiences that are fantastic. And, and this is the big debate is, do we try and repeat it or do we let someone just have whatever path is best for them? That is an interesting question. And I think um, I would say nuanced, right? There's no perfect answer. I don't think you can create 
a truly repeatable journey. And in fact, in our business, maybe not totally unique, but we serve customers who are all the way on the SMB and we serve customers who are very, very enterprise. We, we just signed a, I cannot name them right now, but an almost $2 million a year deal with a customer whose journey was really, really different than someone maybe who signed yesterday for, you know, $20,000. You know, for us, I think it's more about optimizing what is the best possible journey for that particular business and person and persona that we're thinking about. So certainly the way that we think about things is providing enough content insight and then the optimal access to resources on, on our side to make the buyer's journey appropriate for an engineer at an SMB company versus a product manager at, you know, a fortune 1000 company. We're still relatively young in some of our more uh, enterprise ambitions, but we've seen momentum that's been unbelievable, but it also means that we don't have the breadth of assets that maybe a company that's you know been around for 20 years has. So we still think about our journey also in terms of what are the gaps? How can we fill them? Where do we have, turns out we have a ton of great content for product managers. We don't have very much for engineers who are really important influencers and sometimes buyers in our buyer's journey. So there is a bit of choose your own adventure, but to some extent you want to chart the path and leave the breadcrumbs for your customers to help simplify that. So you just kind of opened up the door with that word breadcrumbs because, you know, with breadcrumbs, we think about, you know, permission to track these paths of buyers and the different steps that they're going to take along their journey. And, and as you said, we want to create a different journey for every buyer to a degree by having the right assets at the right time. And to do that, we need to track them. How do we create this experience? And I've talked a lot about this for people who've read my book. I talk about, you know, we've got to create these personalized experiences with the data that we provide. But how do you create this agreement between the buyer and the company that says, you're going to let me track you, but here's what I'm going to give in return. Here's the value. I think it's interesting. I hosted a panel of a bunch of chief digital officers about three weeks ago, and we talked about the challenge right now and moving towards a cookie-less environment. What does that mean? How do you think about it? And ultimately, a couple of the key takeaways that we had is that first-party data is becoming ever more important. And the relationship between the brand, whether you're a B2C consumer brand or you're B2B selling some software, um, that relationship and that trust and that transparency is becoming ever more important. So, you know, it certainly goes to bare minimum, privacy policies, sharing what you're doing, et cetera. But in a perfect world, really what you ideally are doing are, are doing things that are progressive and that are leveraging even behavioral data. Not necessarily that I need to know that it's you, Randy, that's on my website, but that you and 200 other people like you that exhibit similar behaviors have really enjoyed this type of content or have really found this particular asset to be valuable. How can I use those behavioral heuristics to actually drive the best possible experience because we've learned from what others who have come before have done, but also be transparent about what we need and what we're willing to give back. It comes everywhere from the simplest, right? Your core marketing GDPR or CCPA compliance all the way through even what is a seller saying on the phone? And hey, we're going to record this demo. Can I do that and share it back to you? Is that okay? Right? Those types of things that, that become part and parcel of who we have to be as a brand are part of our everyday conversation. So I, I couldn't agree more with you. And, and without making this a ad for full story, we've been a very happy customer here at Uberflip. And, and we definitely buy into this idea of looking at those trends, understanding the groups of the and how they navigate an experience and trying to iterate on that for the better of all. How does that morph though? And you know, with this trend in account-based marketing, right? Like as you said, 
it's okay to not know the one-to-one. -one. Yet marketers and buyers are starting to expect more so that you can deliver a one-to-one. -one. So how do we go a step further to say, track us and in turn? And one of the examples just to tease to everyone that I always like to talk about is, you know, I'm okay with Google tracking me because I know in turn it's gonna deliver me really personalized value or Netflix is gonna serve up the show that I want. How can a brand live up to that same expected value at the end of sharing? I mean, if we're talking B2B, I think it is, it's a little old tech, but the, the concept is the same, right? Progressive profiling as a concept. I give you more information about me because you give me more value. And whether that means the first time that I visit and engage with your brand, I don't tell you who I am. But the moment that I'm really interested in maybe some benchmarks that you have available, if I'm willing to give you something and you give me the benchmarks in return, great. But I want you to be transparent. I want us to have a value exchange. I think that's where the place that we have to come from, right? The intent that we have to come from is the, there is value exchange. And if I'm going to ask for more data insights from you, Brandy, I should also be willing to give you something in return. That return may be different for every brand, right? In some cases, it might be an exclusive experience. Maybe you want something unique. Maybe you want some data. Maybe you want, you know, who knows what it is. But I think it's very interesting, right? There was a trend of remove forms from everything. And as long as we're kind of maintaining some persistence of data, you don't have to put a lot behind a form in order to give someone access. But if they consent to engagement and there is acknowledgement there that there is an exchange of value, I think it is actually quite lovely. More and more what we actually see, one of the members of the, um, the sort of roundtable that I hosted was a personal care company. Um, everything from skincare to body hygiene, but that was based on your personal sort of fingerprint, i.e., do I have oily skin or not? Do I have this or that? Am I allergic to you know, insert thing X? And that's a lot of data to give to a CPG company, but the consumer sort of recognizes that there's going to be sort of personalized and tailored recommendations and that they are eventually creating, in their case, a subscription model to build a profile around them and help them have sort of better healthcare over time. So very, very explicit and transparent consent around what are you going to get? What's in it for you? And that's where I think we as marketers have to always be thinking about it. What's in it for them each time that we are maybe asking for some deeper level of engagement? So one, one last question for you to perhaps tie the two parts of our conversation together so far. We talked about the realities that there's different marketing work structures. There's different, you know, and they definitely depend on the company you inherit as a marketing leader, the company size, but who's owning this digital footprint of the buyer in your world, in, in what you see with a lot of customers? Because this, to me, I mean, we're, we've got all sorts of buzzwords we can throw here, like BI and, you know, is this the website team? Does that even exist anymore in these days, uh, you know, especially in B2B orgs? How do you think about ownership of understanding the buyer? Yeah, I, I wish I could say that we were very, very mature in who owns and that there's that there's one party that owns the data, but, but that's not a reality. I th would say it's a little bit dispersed. Our primary champion, though, in that area is in our marketing ops team. They have probably the most systems and most data points that cross not only from the buyer stages, but also to the customer journey that, right. We can't lose sight of the fact that once they become paying customers, we want to stay engaged with them. We want to continue giving them value both in the product, but also through the content and the way that we educate them as well. So I would say marketing ops is probably the champion here, but with strong participation from revenue operations, 
from our web optimization team, which is about to become plus one in about a week. And even to some extent from, we do actually have a centralized BI function uh, within one of our, our operations teams, but they are less about the kind of core buyer's journey and more about the sort of business journey. So I, I would say marketing operations for us is where that sits. That's even a muscle where we knowingly need to develop more thought leadership internally around how do we think about the way that um, personal data and consent evolves over time. We're expanding much more dramatically into EMEA. How does it look across our geographies and how, are we, how do we make sure that we're doing the right thing by our customers at each touch point? Fantastic. Well, Kirsten, we're going to keep you around. So far, we've had some great long combos. We're going to move into our rapid fire questions right after this short break. Just quick sidebar here, Kirsten's mention of the marketing ops role. This is a role that's becoming more and more important. If you remember back maybe five, 10 years ago, I think we thought of these individuals very much as owning the marketing automation platform, your Marketo, your Eloqua, your HubSpot, whatever it may be. But as marketers have invested in more and more technology with more and more data points, the need to pull these together, to get them to talk to each other, to create this center of understanding the buyer is becoming more and more important. Some of us are even seeing technologies, maybe more on the B2C side, such as CDPs, customer data platforms. And I believe the marketing ops professional really is that center of understanding our buyer. They have all these signals and it's our ability to plug that individual as much as the data into the rest of our organization that really allows us to be successful at charting a better buyer journey. All right, Kristen, we are at our fun rapid fire section. So this is where we take our long heated debates and agreements on different topics. And we just, you know, we just get to your thoughts. We're going to fly through these. I got four or five questions ready. Are you ready? I'm so ready. Bring it. All right, let's go. So the first one, actually, we, we kind of hit on this early today, but should up and coming marketing leaders aspire to be a generalist or a specialist? Uh, yeah, we did. So I personally believe being a generalist is more interesting and more fun, but I also think it's really up to each up and coming marketer. What gets you excited? What makes you want to get out of bed every day? So you, we can debate it. I know what I like. Beauty. All right. This is rapid fire. So I'm not going to jump back in each time. I'm going to jump to the next one here. Cool. What's one thing you wish marketers did more of? Analytics. Full stop. We've probably talked it to death in the last five years as marketers, but understanding and digging in and wanting to be curious about how what you're doing is, is responding with the market at a relatively quick pace is really important. And a lot of marketers think that only one aspect of their role is the most important and that maybe that breadth and analytics is something where they're missing. So definitely more on the analytics front. Beauty. All right. My next one, uh, you hit today on the idea of the importance of the right content for people at multiple stages of their buying journey and how they learn. What are three words or three ideas that you associate with having the right content? Persona fit, helpfulness, and timing, right? Timing is probably the hardest, right? Because we now have all of this intent data but we don't really know if we're serving it at the right time. So making sure that stuff is searchable so that if they're searching it and need it at the right time, it's appropriate, but really persona fit and helpfulness, I think come, come to me from my days at HubSpot. If the content is not helpful to someone other than yourself, 
then it is probably not what we want to be talking about. It can certainly be something about your brand if you want it to be, but it sure as hell's got to do, do something for your customer or your prospect and be helpful to them. Love it. All right. So coming off of that, a uh, very similar question, but maybe more to the world that you're in right now. What's the key ingredient to delivering a successful digital experience for buyers? Mm, it's understanding your customers. I think, you know, we talked about it earlier. Privacy is changing. Cookie policies are changing. There is no time that I've ever seen before in, in our era of digital marketing that first party data has ever been more important and knowing your customer has ever been more important. So whether that means getting everything from VOC data that they give to you to looking at, you know, behavioral data that you can get from tools like full story. Sorry, I said it. Um, <laughs> really understanding your customer better than ever before, particularly as you're going to have less sources of third-party data and you're going to have access to less things. Um, it's more and more important than ever to build that first-party arsenal and relationship with your customers so that you understand their needs best that you can. That's a great answer. All right, the last one really brings our podcast full story, which is the reality of a journey. And we've talked about your career journey. We've talked about the buyer journey. Where are you going to take your next personal journey to? You know, we're finally getting back to traveling and thinking about, you know, vacation. Where's that next stop for you? Um, I already have a laundry list, so I'm going to leave you with a couple. Um, All right. In three weeks, my husband and I are going to Del Mar. California. So part of Southern, Southern California, San Diego for about a month to get away from the Texas heat. And then for my husband's next big birthday, we are going to Costa Rica, which I'm super excited about. And then the third one, which is the, the dream wish, um, we have yet to go on safari in Africa. So that's like oh, wow. thinking about that for next year. Amazing. We're in Costa Rica. I'm, I'm just, we're, I love uh, we're flying into Liberia and then we're going to be in Tamarindo. I don't know if that, if you know that area. I do. I do. I'll have yeah. to give you some tips of places. I would love that. I would love Amazing. that. Well, we'll do that afterwards. This has been great. I can't thank you enough uh, for sharing about your journey for everyone tuning in for the first time and discovering this podcast. Check out all the other great episodes we've had with different marketing leaders. As I always say, everyone's journey is different. Yours is probably taking its own path. And I hope one day you'll be on here to share it with me and with all of our listeners. Thanks so much for tuning in. This has been The Marketer's Journey. You've been listening to The Marketer's Journey podcast. Big thanks to our sponsors at Uberflip, who help you fuel demand generation with content for an accelerated buyer journey. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, at uberflip.com slash podcast, or anywhere you listen to podcasts.